0: Okay, if you would take your Bible this evening and turn to Exodus chapter 15, Exodus chapter 15, we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures tonight, we're going to be, um, this is kind of an introduction uh, to um, some biblical standards, I've been looking back and we haven't gone over those in like at least two years now, so. I'm looking at that a little bit in the next few weeks. Uh, So tonight is kind of an introduction to that as to why separation. But Exodus 15, I'm going to start at verse 26. Exodus 15, verse 26. Uh, Let's read verse 25 also. And he cried unto the Lord, of course this is Moses, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and said, "If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. notice, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee uh, Go to chapter nineteen and verse five. Chapter nineteen, verse five. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep a covenant, my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And then uh, Deuteronomy 14. Look at Deuteronomy 7 first. Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. And verse 6 says, for thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. And then verse 14, thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you, or among your cattle. Let's pray. We'll look at Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word. Thank you for the promises you give us in your word. And I pray tonight as we look into the Word of God that we would see these principles concerning separation, the blessings, and the positive uh, effects they have upon our life and our relationship with you and upon our witness for the Lord. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when the word separation comes up uh, in Christendom, quote-unquote, today... You know, uh, questions like, you know, okay, what do I have to give up? Oh, you mean I have to dress like that? Or I can't go there? Or, you know, or that's all negative. That's all negative. You know, I've heard that many times. Well, that's all, that's negative. But we have forgotten that there's a positive side to separation. Just as there's a positive side to you correcting your children, is there not? Correct thy son, and he shall give thee what? Rest. He shall give delight to thy soul. That's that's positive. Now, the child thinks it's negative. The child thinks it's negative. But if the child receives that correction, you know what he's going to do or she's going to do? They're going to grow up, and they're going to do the same thing to their children. You know why? Because they learned the benefit of that correction. They learned the benefit. Of that expectation that was placed upon them, and the same is true with separation. When we come to the Bible and with our relationship with the Lord, there are great blessings. Now, this this study tonight is not original with me. Uh, it was actually sent to me about twenty some years ago by Pastor Doug Hammett, actually, um, and it's just he just some things he printed out. But anyway, uh, so so I am going to use it, of course, and give credit to whom credit is due, but. Um, but anyway, you know, these are the things. There is, there is, and the point is, there is real fruit to separation. And, you know, when a person's reaction to this subject, their reaction to this reveals where their heart is. It's not a do or don't do issue. The issue is do I have a heart to please God? And so we'll see that tonight. But I want to notice several things. The three This is divided into three parts, the purpose for separation. First of all, the purpose of separation. And we're going to look at the nation of Israel, the church and individual believers, all three of those things. And it says the same things concerning separation about all three. And we'll see that. So see so here in, in, in uh, we looked in Exodus chapter 19, verse five. And here in Deuteronomy, that God promised a blessing upon the nation of Israel because they would be peculiar to Him and holy to Him. Those are the two words that appear in many of those passages. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 26, again in verses 18 and 19, this was something the Lord spoke quite often concerning the nation of Israel. In Deuteronomy 26, verse 18 and 19, it says, And the Lord hath vouched thee this day to be his peculiar people, as he hath promised thee, and that thou shouldest keep all his commandments, to make thee high above all nations, which he hath made in praise and in name and in honor, that thou mayest be an holy people unto the Lord thy God, as he hath spoken. Now, the last, in, uh, I think it was Exodus 19, he used the word, you will be a special people. And that's really sort of the idea of peculiar. It doesn't mean, you know, the world, when the world uses that word peculiar nowadays, they think, well, he's just a little bit weird. You know, he's just not, he's just a a sandwich shy of a happy meal and, you know, a piece of bread shy of a sandwich or, you know, his elevator doesn't go all the way to the top. You know, he's just a little weird. He's peculiar. That's how the world uses the word peculiar. But that's not what it means in the Bible. It means a special or exclusive to one or appropriate. And, of course, the word holy is used here in these verses also, two words in particular. And, you know, uh, it, it means separate or set apart or consecrated. You know, this building has been consecrated or set apart for the worship of God. That's, that's the purpose of this meeting house. Uh, this isn't the church. This is just the meeting house where the church meets. And so the, 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 this is what the Lord says about the nation of Israel. And there's a purpose that God has had in setting Israel apart from all the nations of the world. And that's found in Isaiah 42, 6 and 7. Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7. <clears throat> Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and when hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light to the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. You see, the nation of Israel wasn't just somebody God randomly chose so that they could be his favorites in the world. No, they had a special purpose. You know, they had a you know along with that calling of the nation of Israel, there was a responsibility, just as as along with us being the children of God, there is an expectation God has of us, and that's to be a witness testimony, and testimony we'll see that and so God had an expectation of the children of Israel they were to be a witness to the nations around them, and you know there were some nations that that made peace with israel you know hiram king of uh uh was he king of Tyre um you know he he was a lover of David. He, he he made he made a lot of the things for the temple. Uh, he he loved Solomon. He had you know he had he worked with Solomon. Uh, the the people at Lebanon worked with Israel and helping prepare uh, cedars for for the uh, temple and for Solomon's house. You know there were some Gentiles that came to know God through the nation of Israel. The Queen of Sheba came from Ethiopia. Uh, so, so, this was the purpose of the nation of Israel, was to be a witness to the nations around them. You know, the sad thing is, they didn't, instead of, and that's why God told them, when you go into the Canaan land, I want you to destroy. I want you to destroy all the nations that are there. And he said, destroy their images. That's their pictures. Now, God isn't against pictures. But these pictures weren't just any kind of Pictures. They were immoral pictures. That, those nations of Canaan were given over to immorality. Read Leviticus chapters 18 and 19. You'll see all kinds of immorality that's, that's stated there. And that was what, why they were to destroy those nations and destroy their pictures. It was, it, was, it was sort of like the city of Pompeii in the Roman Empire that a volcano destroyed. They had, they had graffiti, immoral pictures on the walls. And, you know, the, the nation of Israel did not destroy them, and, and, and we know what happened. You know what they started doing? Making pictures. You come to Ezekiel chapter 8, and I read this to the young men this morning. In Ezekiel chapter 8, God tells Ezekiel to go to the temple and go through the wall, and through the hole in the wall into the temple, there's these, these, these abominable imaginations portrayed on the wall. This was in the temple. And this is, this is why God brought judgment upon the nation of Israel. And so, so he, they were to be a peculiar and a holy people. They were to be a light to the Gentiles. Israel was a peculiar people for the purpose of reaching the Gentiles. So what about the church? Well, <clears throat> go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 and verse 27. Ephesians 5 and verse 27 says, let's read verse 20, start at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish so so here he lists some characteristics of a church that that are to be evident of one of his churches and they are to be holy and they are to be without blemish you know the word blemish has the idea of a stain uh you know a a a character flaw uh and you know we would we would say that you know that it, if something was out blemish in this world, it's, it's it's different. It's it's peculiar. You know, it's it's unusual. Uh, and again, the purpose of the church is is of course God stated very clearly in Acts chapter one verse eight. Uh, but ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And then he says in Acts chapter thirteen in verse forty seven. When, he, when they were, had commissioned Paul, and Paul's testimony and his team was this, For the, so the Lord hath commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light to the Gentiles. Thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Now, you know, we know in the book of Romans it was to the Jew first, and then to the Gentiles. But the, the Jews, as the, for the most part, would not receive the gospel. And even to this day, they are hardened to the gospel. They're blinded. Uh, in part, that the Gentiles might come in. Romans chapter 11 tells us that. But, and so he says we're to be a light to the Gentiles. We're to be a light. A church is to be a light to a lost and dying world. So, so a church then, just like the nation of Israel, you know, uh, the nation of Israel has been set aside for a time because of their apostasy and, you know, they've been judged. Uh, but the, the church then is to be a holy and peculiar group of people assembled together for the purpose of reaching the lost. That's our purpose. uh that 's why we 're here you know if, if we if we if we uh uh had no purpose we just the Lord would just take us home to heaven but we 're here to reach the loss we 're to be a a a organism or a body that is holy and distinct from the world. If we were like the world, then we are of no consequence i was reading, been reading this book. Uh, about some marks of New Testament church, and they were talking about the uh, church discipline. And, they, they, and the writer said it's a pretty new book uh, written by a Southern Baptist pastor, and I'm kind of amazed at some of the things that are actually in it. But uh, anyway, he's obviously on oh, the conservative side. But he said that, he said that you know, with the, the lack of church discipline, there's also been a loss of evangelism in our churches. Our churches are getting smaller. Now, that's, that sounds contradictory. He said, it's, but it's because we are of no consequence. We're not different than the world. If there's no church discipline, if there's no church growth, if there's no, you know, discipline is more than just voting people out of church. It's growth. It's, it's spiritual growth in your life. It's, it's being separated or having standards in your life. That's part of discipline. You're disciplining yourself to be Christ-like. And what the world wants to see in a Christian is somebody that actually lives the Bible. They see, they see the hypocrisy, you know. So that's what the Lord was looking for. So we see this as a church. All right, then thirdly, to the Christian, look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. Titus chapter 2. And you'll see some, some parallels, some amazing parallels here. Uh, with what he said about Israel and, and the church and, and, and uh, the, to each Christ, us as individual Christians. Uh, Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people. There it is again, that peculiar people zealous of good works. And, you know, the preceding verses teaches us that the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and, uh, ungodliness, uh, and worldly lust, and we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. You know, the, 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 but the, uh, the, the new, new evangelical or the um, uh, contemporary church says, well, you know, like Charles Swindoll wrote a book called Grace, grace Awakening. And in it, basically what he said is, these people that teach Bible standards are killjoys. They're taking all your joy away. Your freedom to live for God. The liberty which you have in the grace, and you just need to be led by grace. And it really doesn't matter how you live as long as your heart's right. That's not what the Bible teaches. The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness. And world less, and lives soberly and righteously in godliness present world. And he says that we're, you know, we're to you know he 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 is he died to redeem us from all iniquity, so why should we live in it? And that we are a peculiar people, just like the nation of Israel was. We're a holy and peculiar people. These are characteristics. In fact, in in uh 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 you remember one of the things he said concerning the nation of Israel, he said, I'll make you a kingdom of priests and a peculiar people. Well, in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. So you're you're, you're like that holy nation of Israel. A peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. So your lifestyle... Should be characteristic of the kingdom of God and not characteristic of the kingdom of this world. So you know, again our purpose is, Matthew 5:16 says, "To let your light shine before men, they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Not glorify you, but glorify your Father. You know, that's why we should live in in such a way that we can give an answer to every man of the reason the hope is in you with meekness and fear. You know, people are going to look at us as children of God and they expect, they expect to see something different in the world. And we should be able to give them a reason why. It's because of God. Why don't, why didn't my children... Run wild and wreck the restaurants, and want everybody that's in the restaurant sitting next to me in the tables. Why they, they didn't all want to leave? You know, I've I've been in restaurants a few times where you know kids are just noisy and rowdy, and you know, and you know, and, I, and I've read stories where where people uh, have complained to the point where restaurants asked families to leave because their children were rowdy. Okay, why aren't yours that way? Why weren't mine that way? Oh, it's just because I'm just a great parent. Where did I learn that? Who gave me wisdom to keep my children in subjection? It wasn't because I'm just an all-wise person. And it wasn't because my dad was all-wise. No, my dad knew how to correct. but, But, you know, no, because of the principles I learned and tried to apply from the Word of God. And uh, so, so these, these things, you know, our life, you are to let our light shine before men. They may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. So we're to be, so, so being holy and peculiar, uh, that is the purpose of separation, that we might be a light, distinct, different than the world. All right. Second, we look at, look at the predicament without separation, uh, you know, there are some problems we encounter when we talk about separation. There's always problems we encounter. You know, we have to learn to deal with our past experiences. You know, all these things affect how we look at the Bible, how we look at the Word of God, and and, and our effort to put them into practice. So, our past experiences. We can't allow our past experiences to corrupt the present application. Uh, our present preconceived ideas. You know, when I came to the Bible, I had some preconceived ideas. I was raised Mennonite. So I had some preconceived ideas about what the Bible said about certain things. First of all, about eternal security. You know, I was taught as a Mennonite that you could lose your salvation. So that's one of the things I had to relearn. I had to relearn about baptism, baptism by immersion. You know, so, so you know, um, I never did buy the pacifist line of the Mennonites, but but uh you know there's some things you just didn't make sense and I didn't buy it no matter what. But anyway, you know, but there were some preconceived ideas that I had, and all of us come to you know, when we come to Christ, we have some preconceived ideas of what we think is right. You know, you that have been raised in a Bible-believing Baptist church have a great advantage over those who were not. Uh and sometimes that doesn't always hold true either, but, but anyway. So we have preconceived ideas we have to overcome, and we think about our future. The effect of friendships, careers, all those things, uh, can affect, and we can be consumed with those things that affect our friend, our separation, uh, because we may be concerned about friendship or or what what's going to happen to our career if we. If we apply these principles in the Bible. So, so let's think about those things. And as we consider the nation of Israel, of course they were to be a light to a lost world. But again, they chose to amend the Word of God and attempted to write their own guidebook. As I said, when they came in the land, God said, I want you to utterly destroy the Canaanites and all their images and all their abominations. I want you to destroy them, all their idols. I want you to destroy them. And we know they did not. They did their own thing. They did it partially. They partially. Because he said they will be snares in your sides and thorns in your flesh. And that is what happened. Why? Because they did not obey. They really wrote their own book. They set a guy. They set aside. They, you know, they made these decisions based on their own preconceived ideas and preferences. Oh, well, after all, we lived in Egypt with it. You yeah, lived in Egypt with it. They were slaves there. Well, look at Malachi chapter two, in verse uh, eight. Malachi two and verse eight. This is God's commentary on how they departed, and how they wrote their own book, so to speak. Malachi two and verse eight <clears throat> and and this is really this is really this is a this is a a a correction a condemnation of the priest who should have known better and and uh Because if you notice it says, and now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. If you drop down to verse 6, For the law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth. For he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. So they had departed out of the way, and they had caused many to stumble. They caused many to stumble at the law. Because they didn't keep the law of God, they caused many to stumble at the law. think about that because we don't keep the commands of God when we don't keep the commands of God we cause unsafe people to stumble you know when Abraham went to Egypt when Abraham went to Egypt he used to be a witness well the Lord what did he do in Egypt he lied and the Egyptians ended up correcting the man that represented God before them the prophet do you know that was a stumbling block that Abraham caused in Egypt 2nd kings 2nd kings chapter 17 2nd kings chapter 17 2 Kings 17 and verse 15 says, And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and his testimonies which he testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain went after the heathen that were round about them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them, that they should not do like them. So again, they rejected God's commandments, and they did what they were to, told not to do. They were told not to be like the world around them, but they imitated the world, God, and God rejected them. They were, And, and really what it comes to is, they were no longer usable. Notice verse eighteen. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of His sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. And this is, of course, talking about the northern kingdom. You know, and and when the when the the nation of Israel split, and Rehoboam, not Rehoboam, Jeroboam took the northern the the ten tribes, and Rehoboam was left with two. Of course, Jeroboam instituted his own form of worship. He built he built. Uh, high places in Dan and one in Bethel, and he had uh, appointed priests of the lowest of the people, and he, and he sacrificed there on those altars, and, and that, was, that was in rejection of what God had commanded. They did just like the world around them. And so God rejected them. He couldn't use them. They no longer represented him. They no longer held to the law that God had commanded and to the worship that He had set up. So, there was only one alternative. When, when that happens, whether it's a nation of Israel or a church or a person, God can't use them. God can't use them. And we see this happening with the church in the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5 The Lord gives the church at Ephesus a warning in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now, the idea here is the Lord is going to remove his presence from the church if they do not repent. And they would cease to be a light, a witness for the Lord. Now, they may still meet. They may still hold services. I mean, Jeroboam in the northern kingdom did everything like they did in Jerusalem. They worshiped, the, they worshiped, they called it the worshiping the Lord just like they did in Jerusalem. But God hadn't chosen those places. God hadn't chosen those places. God didn't appoint those priests. They were not of the seed of Levi. And so it was all wrong. Therefore, it was of no avail. It was outside of God's plan. And a church, when they depart from the truth of the word of God, and one of those things is, quit church discipline. Don't hold the doctrines of the Bible. They cease to become a church of the living God. And they're just now a social club that meets together on a weekly basis. You see, this this church is about to lose its status as a church. You know, the tendency always is for a church made up of human beings, the bent is towards sin. The bent is to deteriorate from a strong position to a weaker one. That's, That's, you know, think about it. All these churches that are listed here, or spoken of here in the book of Revelation, are no more. These were all in the area of Syria and Turkey, and there's no Bible-believing churches in those areas anymore, in Ephesus. So, you know, the church at Laodicea had a similar problem. Uh, You know, in Revelation 3.16, Revelation 3.16, he says this, So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You know, they put forth a muddled picture of what a believer should be. And God was prepared to reject them. You're not cold, you're not hot. You know. It's like like somebody... You know, uh, being in the Civil War and, and wanting to ride the fence. You know, fight one day for the South and fight the next day for the North. Or try be on both sides. You can't do that. You're going to get shot at from both directions. And when you as a Christian live like the world, you're going to get shot at from both sides. You're going to be condemned from both sides. Because the reality is, the world knows... The world knows hypocrisy when they see it. I remember when I went to Maine and you know this is a church that had all sorts of problems. I mean all sorts of problems. They former pastor two before me there was another one that was there a year and a half between me and this first guy had been there 14 years so they got into financial difficulties so he he uh started a trucking business and put it under the name of the church and men in the church drove these trucks so they had a garage there they had a bus ministry at one day one time so they had a garage there, and there's there's this there's this equipment down in this garage. There was a great big, you know, big air compressor. It was about this long, floor model, about this long, about that big around. The tank was on it. it, had a big motor compressor on it, and you know the church had some debt, operating debt uh, there, and you know wasn't making wasn't making gains on the debt. And so I went down to that garage, and I started looking around. Okay, let's sell this, let's sell this, let's sell this, let's sell this. And so one of the men in the church said, well, I know somebody that, that might, the farm up the road might be interested in that air compressor. And I said, well, let's decide on a price and, and go see him. So he came down. One of the men from the farm came down. These are unsaved men. And uh, and I went down to the garage, and one of the men there uh, arranged the sale was there as well and we just talked a little bit and the guy's name was Scott and Scott said so you're going to get back to being a church again See, he knew the world knows the world knows what a church is supposed to be even if they don't agree with it and the world has no respect for a church that tries to be like the world because it's of no consequence and as a, uh, as a Christian, you know, again, uh, as an individual testimony is also vitally important. You know, consider what God says about David, uh, David's sin in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 14. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 14 <clears throat> 2 Samuel 12, verse 14. And if we of course know this was talking about David's sin with Bathsheba. And verse 14 says this, Howbeit, this is Nathan speaking to David, Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, shall also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Now, you know, so David's sin gave great occasion. You know, the things that that former pastor did brought great reproach on the church great reproach you know as I began to visit in the community you know I heard many a person say they'd never go to church many people who used to go to church there say they would never go to church there again never look at Romans chapter 2 Romans chapter 2, verse 22 to 24. Romans 2, 22 to 24. Romans two, twenty-two. 22. Thou, thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. For the circumcision verily profiteth, if thou keep the law. But if thou be a break of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. So, there ought to be nothing about our testimony that puts forth an unclear message about the Lord. Now, and here's an amazing thing. And only God can do this. Okay? You may, you know, a person can fall into sin. But if they get right with God and make it right, if it's something public and they make it right with a church, there's just something, and I don't understand it, but there's something that God does that it doesn't have the same effect in the community as if a person that does not repent. Are you following what I'm saying? It's sort of like this. You know, your, your children, your children don't expect a perfect parent. But what they do expect is a parent, when, they, when, when does something wrong, admits it and apologizes. And they will, you will gain their respect by that. Again, children know. And the same is true with Churches. In individuals, in churches. You know, if, if a if a you know, we we had a situation in, in the church there in Maine of a lady and she had to come before the church. And you know the, the what 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 had been thought was true was talked about prior. Talked about in the church, talked about in the community. You know, there was this always this sh- But after it was made public, admitted, and asked for forgiveness, you know what happened to that? Because there's nothing really to talk about anymore. Why? Because it's forgiven. It's taken care of. There's nothing to gossip about anymore. The truth has been revealed. And the truth has been brought forth, and righteousness has been established. If you confess our sins, he's what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, when a church or a Christian confesses their sin, you know, God cleanses. And it doesn't have the same effect on the world as if somebody or a church that continues to go into apostasy. So, so those are the predicaments. All right. So there ought to be nothing about our testimony that puts forth an unclear message about the Lord. And then thirdly, the principles to guide separation. Some principles to guide separation. Look at John seven seventeen. John seven seventeen. John seven seventeen. If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. In other words, if any man is willing to do it. In other words, do you have a heart to please God? Are you willing to do whatever God asks? Are you willing to do whatever God commands? You know, I believe that many times we don't see truth because we're not willing to do it. You know, I've had people say to me, well, I'm just not convicted about that. Well, they don't want to be. They don't want to be. They're not open to it. They've already decided what they're going to do about it. And you could, you could argue Scripture after Scripture and, and give passage after passage to why they were, their, their belief is wrong, but they've already made up their minds. So they ain't going to see it. Why? They're not willing. You know, Jesus said... If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. So the question is, am I willing? Am I willing? That's the thing we ought to ask: Am I willing? You know, there's, it's not a, it's not about a list, so we can pick and choose which ones we want to do and which ones we don't want to do. I mean, the Pharisees had their lists. In fact, in Matthew fifteen eight. Matthew 15.8, uh, speaking to the Pharisees, this is what Jesus said to them, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In other words, they, you know, the Pharisees prided themselves in keeping the laws of God. They had this list. I mean, they, didn't, they, they, had, they were so list-oriented, they had added to the list that God gave But you know what? Their heart wasn't right. And when Jesus tried to correct them for their inconsistencies and their hypocrisy, they rejected it. I mean, the God who gave the commandments is standing in their midst correcting their errors and they say, no, we think we're right. You know, that's like a five-year-old... Oral trying to argue with his dad. Something wrong with that picture, isn't it? Uh, second thing we ought to consider is, will my God be glorified? You know, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So, is what I'm doing glorifying to God? Or can it in any possible way bring a reproach upon the Lord? Or does it draw people to myself and not to God? You know, we're to let our light shine before men. They may see our good works and not glorify us, not be drawn to us, but glorify our Father. That's the only reason. That's the only thing that makes us different than the rest of the world is our relationship with our Heavenly Father. So, does it glorify the Lord? You know, Psalm 40 or 34:3 says, "Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together." So, does it glorify the Lord? Will, the glor- Lord be glor- Will my Christian brother be edified, okay? Will it do that which encourages or builds up my fellow believers? 1 Corinthians 10:23, "All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient." In other words, all things are not beneficial. There may be things that I am allowed by the law, by the command of God to do, but we have to ask ourselves the question, is it beneficial to me, and is it beneficial to my brother in the Lord? All things are lawful to me, but all things edify not. And there he's talking about meats and so on. So ask yourself this question, does what I'm about to do edify? Does it make the situation better or worse? Fourthly, will it be enslaving, or can I become preoccupied with it? You know we're not to engage in enslaving, enslaving habits first corinthians six twelve says again, uh, I think that was the wrong verse actually I've got the same verse wrote down twice here. Let me look this up first Corinthians six and verse twelve um the last verse was wrong, First Corinthians 10, 23. Oh, it is the same, it's the same. same. The verses are the same. Again, all things are lawful for me, but I, But all things are not expedient. It's not the same, I'm sorry. The, use of the word, Yes, it is, expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of many. So again, it has to do with myself now, not with my brother. So is it going to be something that's going to control me or bring me under its control and all right, take too much of my time? It will become a bad habit. You know, I have a boat. Fishing could become a bad habit. Um, but I don't like to fish that much, so it never did. Uh, but you know so I've gone fishing a couple times but you know some people get into fishing where it becomes they have to be there every weekend that's an enslaving habit or it can be cigarettes or it can be it can be the internet I don't think I'm not sure there's any of us that don't don't have a don't have to work at not doing this too much you know that can be enslaving. We have become so uh, what's the word I want? we become impersonable in our world today because technology. You know, these things, we, we don't be brought under, you know, these can be enslaving habits. They can be sinful things. Um, could this activity be habit forming? You know, and sometimes we need to remove things that, that are enslaving to us. Will this cause another to be disqualified or cause others to stumble? 1 Corinthians eight twelve. But when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Um, uh, will, it, will others be adversely affected by what I'm about to do? Uh, you know, We have to be careful. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5, abstain from all appearance of evil. You know, really, 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 is it wrong to walk in to a bar and buy a, and I'm dating myself here, but a soda pop? Not really. But what's it's going to look like? See, somebody, if you do that, somebody in the world may think, you know what? Nathan drinks. I mean, why would he win a bar? No, I know most restaurants around here serve liquor anyway, you know. But, and I, I, I eat in restaurants that serve liquor. We lived in Pennsylvania years ago. We didn't because the vast majority of restaurants did not serve liquor in Pennsylvania. And it was easy to do that. When I went to Maine, that was a whole other story. I mean, even the gas stations sold the stuff. So if you wanted to eat out, almost, you had to eat in some place that sold liquor. But, you know, people in Pennsylvania would look at you more, if you go into a place that sold liquor, they were suspicious. Of course, that's changed now, too, but for the most part. Uh, so we have, to, we have to be careful. We don't want to cause other people to stumble. Uh, Will it nullify my testimony? If you're not sure about it, you know, there's a good rule of thumb. You know, Romans 14, 23 says, He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So the old preachers used to tell me, if in doubt, don't. Because you can defile your conscience by doing what you think may be wrong. And you don't want to do that. If it's not of faith, it's sin. So, these are some things. You know, do I have peace from God in this action? You know, we'll let the peace of God roll in our hearts. Colossians 3.15. And, and, you know, let me give you a little warning here. If you persist long enough, like Israel with Saul, God allow you to get what you want. He'll allow you to get what you want. But it won't turn out good. You know, David got what he wanted. Even David got what he wanted. You know, after being hunted by Saul, for we don't know how long. He grew weary of it. said, I'm just going to go to Achish. I'm just going to go to the Philistines. And then Saul will stop hunting for me. Did it work? Yep. For a time. Just for a time. And then he got himself into a real predicament that God had to get him out of. You see, separation, separation are really guideposts. They're like fences. You know, we put up fences around our barn to protect our animals. Because, you know, if we let them run wild, you know, that goat I have looks, I I looked out there the other morning and I thought, man, I could almost shoot her for a deer. If I let her run wild, Daniel might, you know, shoot her with a bow at the, the neighbor someday, you know. Uh, no, it's for their protection. We put fences in our children's minds for their perfection, per- protection. We tell them, don't ride on the road. And there are consequences if you go out on the road. What are you doing? You're putting a fence in their mind. And see, these things that God commands when he says, don't do this. You know, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not... Still, he's, he's trying to put a fence in our, in our life to protect us from evil, from hurting ourselves. So that none of these diseases come upon you. That's what he told the, 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 the children of Israel. You know, Egypt was a disease-ridden place. Even their medical practices were full of disease and sickness. That's why he told the children of Israel, you know, you wash your hands. There was a series of hand washing. That was hygiene. It it cut down on the spread of germs. Their dietary laws, they didn't have refrigeration, by the way. Their dietary laws, it was to protect them from food poisoning. See, God doesn't just put things in his word to make you miserable. God puts things in his word, commandments in your word, his word to guide you into the truth and to guide you in the way of peace, to guide you for your protection and so that you can be a witness to the world of his glory, of his honor. So the question is, are you willing? That's the question. To obey, to keep the command the commandments of the Lord thy God.